I strongly dislike the phrase racial reconciliation. See, reconciliation by nature, by meaning, means to restore relationship amongst people. And see, in this conversation that we've been having these last two days, when we talk about racial reconciliation, the truth is we're saying something was right from the beginning. See, I know it's, it's easy for you to hear that, but at the same time, you're looking at me, you're like, wait, you're white. How are you supposed to be saying that? But the truth is, God has done a, a marvelous work in me and God has done a marvelous work in so many people's lives and I believe that's why you chose to be here tonight. Amen. See, racial inclusion, it's never been right in the same sense. How can we reconcile that's something that's not been there before? And see, we walk in here, many of us walk in here with different pains or different experiences and here we are collectively having this conversation of saying, where is God at in our local church? Where is God at in our global church of what God is trying to do and how he's trying to unite people into a genuine hope-filled relationship with him? See, that's where we find hope. That's where we find strength is when we're united with God in a genuine hope-filled relationship that our identity is first found in Him. See, then God also gave us the strength and the ability to be united with other people. See, it's the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your strength, soul, and mind, right? And then to love your neighbor as yourself, which also means the reciprocal. It means to be loved by God and to be loved by other people. But see, we don't always see that, do we? Right? We look around the country and we see the brokenness and, and we see the discord. We see the divisions. Right? Do you know the number one stressor in our country right now is the news? You turn on the news and it's, it's just easy to get stressed out. Regardless of what side of the party you're on, it, it doesn't even matter. You just get stressed because you see it and you're like, well, this is wrong and that's wrong. And we all have these opinions of what's going on. But see, here's the good news, church. These things are mentioned in the Bible. See, and that's the beautiful, like that's the beauty of believing in the word of God because when we see the reality of the word of God in real life, we can believe that when we study the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we can truly find hope in that. So when we see the brokenness, when we see the division, that's where that hope comes from. We're not crazy what we see in this world is real. It is. But all of us in this room, all of us, are capable of changing this cycle of racism. All of us are capable of living life-honoring kingdom diversity in the global church, in the local church, even in our, in our communities, as well as at home. See, we've been going through these different areas over the last two days. We've talked about the global church of what's going on and, and we've had to gain some perspective of some of the things that we see. We, we've talked about the local church and how we have to make some changes so that we can be intentional about what God wants to do and has been wanting to do since the very beginning. Earlier this afternoon, we talked about our communities. Like what change are we really seeing in our communities? And we have to ask ourselves the hard questions. But I believe that all of us are capable of ending the change. We're able to lean into this. But it begins at the home. It begins where our day starts. 
See, you all got up this morning and you tried to get your hair did, right? You, you got your clothes on, you tried to look all fancy and, and you wanted to get to church and you wanted to get here and, and, and you, you just, you continue to like make yourself all pretty so that people can respect you and love you. There's nothing wrong with that. God created you to be loved by people. But when it's that desire to be loved by other people is greater than your love for God or to be loved by God, that's where the, that's where the division really starts. So when we start talking about things in this country, we have to understand that there's division between us and God first and foremost. And if we truly unite ourselves with God, that's where the restoration will begin. And so tonight I want to give you three practical steps that I believe that will help us to begin to build from there. Now see, all of us in this room, we are created in God's image. And I think the beauty of what God is doing is right there. I believe that the truth, um, I believe the truth of, of these implications of the things we see in the world are real. But I believe that it started in the very beginning of time. And when we open our Bibles into Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, it says this. I think it will be on the screen for you. It will. Okay, it says this, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth. Some of us are like, we want to we rebuke that from our households, right? Beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, all of us in this room were created in the image of God. See, in the Christian circle, we call this the imago Dei. It's that we believe that we are created in the image of God. It's a beautiful principle that when fully lived out, that's, again, where hope is, starts. It starts in the very beginning. See, the chair of the, de uh, the Department of Life Sciences at the New York Institute of Technology said this, Despite notions to the contrary, there is only one human race. Our single race is independent of geographic origin, ethnicity, culture, color of skin, or shape of eyes. We all share a single phenotype, the same or similar observable anatomical features and behavior. Science highlights these similarities in our embryonic development. Physiology, our organ-based systems. Biochemistry, our, our, uh, and more recently, our genetic makeup as a molecular, I lost my place, as a molecular biologist, this last one is indeed the most important to me. Data show that the DNA of any two human beings is 99.9% .9 identical. And we all share the same set of genes, scientifically validating the existence of a single biological human race and one origin for all human beings. In short, we are all 
brothers and sisters. See, here's the beauty. Science is catching up to the Bible, church. See, we look in this world and we see division based on so many different things, whether, whether it's our color, whether it's our culture, whether it's our cash. And in these different breakdowns, we, we see the divisions in our world. But the truth is, since the very beginning of time, God created us one, right? That God created us brothers and sisters. That it doesn't matter those things that we see as differences, but those were the unique attributes that God created you that you can celebrate, in fact, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27 says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. One man, every nation. When we start to realize that this is a scientific truth, when we start to realize that this is a biblical truth, our treatment of people begins to change, right? Earlier, Trey uh, used a passage in John chapter 4, and I want to highlight some things that this is where the beauty of a conference like this, because God told him to use John 4, and God told me to use John chapter 4, but there's some different qualities, there's some different angles of this passage that I believe that we can look at. And see, in John chapter 4, Trey, if you weren't here earlier, absolutely just, he, he was amazing earlier. And he did a great job of, of, of contextually setting up this passage but if you weren't here, John chapter 4 is about this woman at this well that Jesus approaches. And in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, it simply says this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, this is exactly the conversation that we've been having. Right? The Samaritans were a hated people. They were a mixed breed in a sense, right? You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles and Samaritans are kind of the half and half. And so when the Jews hate the Gentiles and the Gentiles hate the Jews, well, if you're Samaritan, no one likes you. See, and, and as Trey was articulating earlier, as he is in the midst of his travels, he goes in an unorthodox way. He breaks status quo. Why? Is because I believe that Jesus wanted to meet the woman at the well there to have this conversation. See, and as Jesus is having this conversation with this woman, this conversation wasn't supposed to take place. Now, not just for our readers perspective, from the reader's perspective, but also from this woman's perspective. And in fact, she says it. Right? Like, this is like blowing her mind. And Jesus simply says, hey, can you give me a drink? And she's like, whoa, like, slow down. You're, you're not supposed to talk to me here. A woman from a mixed race known uh, to be living in sin in a public place. She was doing everything in her power because of her pain and, and because the things that she was doing that we see in the word of God that through pain it makes us make illogical decisions. 
right? We, we, we do things out of illogic when we're operating out of pain, and the woman was operating out of pain, but yet here she is stating the obvious of why are you talking to me? But as we know, the gospel is for every person, every single one of us. It doesn't matter our race. It doesn't matter our social position. It doesn't matter our religious orientation. It doesn't matter our past sins. But God loves us and will never stop pursuing us. But see, in a generation where the divisions of this world continue to break down this truth, it's sad. And then you wonder why so many people in our country are running away from the faith of Christianity. So many people are running away from the faith and the hope that they find in Christ because so many people are making illogical decisions out of pain and are continuing the divide that's been here since day one. But then this is, I think, a powerful truth that we need to have in context before I get to the three practical applications for us. In John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her. If you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, the woman was ignorant to God's gift. See, there's a difference between naivete and ignorance. Ignorance is, is you're choosing to ignore the truth. The woman was choosing to ignore the truth. And I believe that the local church has been, has been choosing to ignore the truth and the divides in our world. See, Jesus was, in his time, known as a rebel, right? But in the church, we want to create these congregations where people are nice and we can just sit and sing kumbaya. But the problem is, church, I, I read from the Bible and I don't see that sometimes. And if our church is operating out of ignorance, that we're choosing to ignore what's going on in this world. What's going on? You don't believe me? Why did Martin Luther King say that Sunday is the most segregated day in America, but yet it's still true to this day? Right? We, we create our divides, we go sit in our circles, and we do what's comfortable for us, right? That's what the basis of church is on these, these days. And, and I've got to question that because last time I checked that the Word of God, that the gospel that Jesus presents is not built on comfort. And in this conversation between Jesus and this woman, right, the woman even says, you're not supposed to talk to me. And then Jesus says three words that I think it's so easy for us to look right over. If you knew. See, some of us are carrying in baggage into this room tonight. Right? That's why I think the, the time of worship was powerful because there's things going on in our lives. So here, I have a question for you. Do you know the power of God? If you know the power of God, your life would look different. If, if the local church knew the power of God, our churches might look a little bit different. See, and you can sit here and say, well, Jeff, he was talking about her sin. 
No, he broke the line and and the divisions that were happening in society because he was intentional to be there. This is not just about the sin that the woman is choosing to live in. If you knew the power of God, our churches would display what Jesus was trying to do with diversity seen in this passage. She was not aware of the importance of this gift. And we have to ask ourselves the question is, do we know what the gift of God truly is as church leaders? Do we know what God is trying to do? Because if we're just operating out of monotony, What's the best way to see heaven on earth? Right? Because if, if Sunday is the most segregated day in America, and if, that, if that's true, the best way to see heaven on earth is when we see people of all nations worshiping the one true God. Right? There's something unique. In it. And, and, and I live in, in a diverse community in Pasadena, California. And, and it's been beautiful to see this church in the last two and a half years that we planted. And, and to see the stories of people just sitting in a small group uncomfortable. See, we have one men's, we have one men's study. And it's like there are 12 guys in this group. And, and I'm talking from age to race to culture to socioeconomic. You throw every division you can think of in this small group. But every single Tuesday night, these guys are learning together. I'm telling you, like if you saw the group, you'd be like, that doesn't make sense. See, Jesus with the woman at the well didn't make sense, right? We live in a world that is based on this principle of fair. See, fair is not a biblical principle, church. If life was fair, we'd be spending eternity away from God. But God broke that with the cross. He broke that with conquering death itself. And the most beautiful way to see the local church is when we lean into it and we see the stories of our church and we see the beauty of the stories of people coming together and learning from different, uh, different experiences and, and seeing God from a different way. See, maybe some of us are unaware of those gifts because we're choosing to not see what God is doing. Now, see, in this passage of John chapter 4, what happens is it continues to go on. And in this passage, Jesus does reveal to her that he's the Messiah, that he's the one that comes to save. See, right, the the woman that was operating out of pain, making illogical decisions, also comes to find out that Jesus is the one that comes to save. And in the midst that as as he's the one that comes to save for her, right, as he's offering this hand to her, when she realizes this, when the, when the revelation really like hits her and it impacts her, her life is so drastically changed that the purpose that she went to the well, she actually leaves the jar behind and then she goes back to the city and it says this in verses 39 through 42. Now catch this church because this is powerful. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said 
to the woman. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Her life is transformed. And the first thing she does and goes, she goes and shares to everybody else right away. There's no hesitation as to what's going on in this moment. And then all of the town begins to come to Jesus and begins to hear the story of what Jesus is teaching and, and they find hope and they use, they use a set of words here. They use a phrase here, Savior of the world, that's only used twice in the Word of God. That he truly was the Messiah. See, I think about what God's doing around our world globally. There's amazing things going on in different parts of, of, of the world. That in fact, we're planting a church in India this year and there's a story of a, of a pastor that, man, he felt like he was useless. He felt like his church wasn't going anywhere and he felt like the work that he had been doing was just in vain and he, he kept going to God. God, I'm doing the best I can, but my church isn't growing. I'm trying to reach everyone and it's just, it's not happening. And he wanted to quit and, and, and he goes and, and he starts to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And then there's this story of him saying, okay, God basically tells us, man, you need to start going to the hospital to pray for people. He's like, all right, I'm just going to start doing this. This is like my last ditch effort to really trust in you and what, what you're doing through my church. See, and he starts going to the hospital and just praying for people and he does this for a while. But then there's this one particular woman that he shares Jesus to and she gets healed. She ends up leaving and she goes back to her town and then she comes back to this pastor. I get the chills even thinking about this story. See, this woman comes back to this pastor and says, hey, I've told everyone I know um, they have questions I can't answer any, anymore. And he's like, okay, well, I'll come with you. And so he travels with her to her village. He shows up and there's like eight or 9,000 people there. For a pastor that thought his church of what God was doing through him and with him was just in vain. And yet God was trying to do a greater work. See, these stories can happen if we believe in what God is trying to do. But that happens when we really know who God is. But see, when we know that, some things happen. But for this woman, this woman knew that she had a story and that she needed to tell it. See, the first step for all of us is to learn from this woman. The first practical step for us to understand is you have a story and you must tell it. You don't know what's going to happen on the other end of that story. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter whether you are male or female. It doesn't matter what's going on in your church. What matters is that you are sharing what God is doing through you. See, so many of us create this, this excuse of like, well, I don't know apologetics and I can't fully articulate my faith. And this woman didn't either. But she went and shared her story because she knew she had a story and she knew she needed to say it, to share it. The biblical definition of success, the biblical definition of success is right there on the wall. Go make disciples of all nations. 
The definition of success is to not get married and to buy a house, to get a white picket fence. The, the definition of success in life is to not have kids. The definition of life is to not have a good job and to make a lot of money. I don't know why we continue to create this American dream to be the definition of success for our lives because we take the baggage of that, we carry it, and then we think we're failures in life. The biblical definition of success is to share your story to all nations. See, we just want to go share to people that are like us, that smell like us, that dress like us, that sound like us, that laugh like us, that have the same political views as us. See, but what would happen if we sat around a table where we actually sat with people that, that had different beliefs than us? See, if we knew the power of God, we'd have nothing to fear, right? I think so many times in my life, you know, it's like here I am leading, leading this diverse church in Pasadena. And in all the division that's going on in our country as, as a white male pastor, there have been so many mistakes made by white men in this country. Now I'm not condemning that. And I know that there's this white guilt that naturally happens in this country now. And, 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 but the truth is, I'm just asking us to not be ignorant to the decisions that have been made by people before us. But I believe that my piece in this story is to share my story and my job is to trust God in the story that he's given me. See, when I don't trust what God's doing through my story, I don't trust in the power of God of what he's trying to do through me. See, we try harder, we work harder, we move faster. But are we really trusting in the power of the story of what God's doing through us? Point number one is you have a story and you must tell it. Point number two, others have a story, we must listen. <laughs> See, we like step number one because we like ourselves, right? It's okay sharing the story and talking about what we want to talk about. But see, it's interesting to me that, that we have one mouth and two ears. And yet I look at the local church and the local church is known for just speaking all the time. What would happen if the local church was actually known for listening? See, I believe that others have a story and there's something beautiful that happens when we sit and listen to other people's stories. And we will never know diversity until we listen to the story of other people. We will never see racial reconciliation as much as I don't even like that phrase until we choose to listen to other people. What did Jesus do at the well with this woman? See, the way he actually engaged in conversation with her in the beginning was asking her questions. Jesus didn't actually approach her and just start talking right away. He started asking questions, and through questions, stories came out, and a conversation began. And through that conversation, this woman's life was changed for eternity, and not just her life was changed for eternity, but the people she went and shared with because they called him the Savior of the world. Are we listening to the people around us? Which leads me to the last point tonight. You are not called 
to change the world, but you are called to change your dinner table. See, we talk about the global church, and we talk about the local church, and we talk about the community, but the truth is we, your world is only as diverse as your dinner table. If we want to start seeing this happen, I was having a conversation with someone earlier, and they were saying, okay, like how do we actually do some of these things? Right, it's easy for us to say, okay, we want this diverse church, and it's easy for us to say, okay, go hire a diverse staff. You can hire a diverse staff all you want. You can start to make your workplace diverse, but if your dinner table isn't diverse, it's never going to carry over into your lives in a true and meaningful way. Because see, the people that we live around, that live around us are intelligent. They can see right through the facade. They can see right through the mirage of what's actually happening in your life. But the truth is, if your dinner table is actually diverse, you're going to sit around a dinner table and you're going to sit and listen and you're going to converse and you're going to go through some uncomfortable and hard conversations. This means our barbecues. This means our, our social media platforms. Here's a test for you. Go in your social media platform right now. I don't care if you use Facebook, Instagram. I don't care if you use TikTok. Maybe like five of you in this room got that joke. Go watch and go look who you follow. Is it monotone? See? Because what happens is what we start to follow really says what we actually want to be around, what we crave. We put in the feed of our lives what we choose and what we want. But we can't change our churches until we change our lives. We can't share our story until God changes us. And your world is only as diverse as your dinner table. And my hope and my prayer as we begin to ask questions of saying, what does this look like for us, is that that's where we start. That we start in our homes. And we start inviting people over from our community that think differently than us. That sound differently than us. That have different political views as us. They have a different cultural upbringing as us. And then we begin to point them to the God we serve. And regardless of using words that are so clear of how to give your life to Jesus and, and so many ways that we break down our faith, the truth is I believe that it starts there. And my hope and prayers in this conversation that's been created here is that we would go home in an introspective fashion and we would look at our lives and say, what do we need to change for the sake of what God is trying to do through our families, of what God is trying to do through our local church, and what God is trying to do around this world. But see, when we start with ourselves and we start with our families, I believe God is going to do a great work. I'm excited to see what happens from here. Let me pray for us. Jesus, as we tonight as we continue to talk about this, as we go into a time where we just begin to look at our own lives and maybe we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what does this look like for us? I pray, God, that we would start in our own spheres of influence. God, that we would start at the barbecues that we, cre we create and have at our house, that we would start with, with, the, with the dinner table that we have and the meals that we have and the people that we invite over. 
And I pray, God, that in the same way that this woman at the well didn't understand the power that you held, I pray, God, that tonight that we would be open to the power that you hold. And I pray, God, that we would begin to make choices, practical steps to begin to impact the world that you have called us to live in. And so whether we live in this area, whether we live in different parts of the country or different parts of the world, God, that you would call us to be a light to the world, a salt to the earth, that we could be a spiritual preservative to a spiritually decaying generation. Because God, that's what you've called us to do. So may we build our lives off of the success that you've given us in the Great Commission that we could go make disciples of all nations. And God, we're grateful that you are present with us tonight. And so we worship you in that. It's in your name we pray. And all God's family said. Amen.